Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Blacked Out, brought to you by thisisthebronx.info, an everything Bronx web portal bringing you the latest in news, community, or just anything fun that you want to do. Check out thisisthebronx.info and sign up for the website today. Now, let's start the show. What's up, Bronxters, Bronxites, and Bronx natives? My name is Rosalie Ruiz, and I'm here with my lovely co-host. This is Randy Abreu, and welcome to Blacked Out. The Blackout. Do the bomb, do the bomb. (laughs) We're terrible with our sound effects. We have a very special guest in the house today. Oh, those were great. (laughs) Were they? Oh, that was tremendous. I was right in it. I was trying to think of my own boom chicka boom in the middle of that. We've got the one and only Gary Axelbank with us. Woo, round of applause, round of applause. If you don't know, Gary is pretty much the face and voice of the Bronx. He's, oh, yeah. It's true. He's been... We said it. Yeah. We said it, therefore it is true. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Bronx society, Bronx culture, Bronx politics, Bronx government. Gary's got his, uh, his finger on the pulse and you got a question. It seems like Gary's the guy. Gary's got an answer. I suppose we'll find out, won't we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we really want to just get your perspective on things that are going on in the Bronx. Uh, No no questions, really. Just let's go with the flow, Gary. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll start by saying we're, we're actually doing this in my living room which is a little odd for me because, like a lot of people, I mean, it doesn't matter what job you have, whether you are a talk show host or a publisher of a website, uh, you try to keep your personal life to yourself, but I let them in my house. They let us, let us, in. us in. And guys, he's got the best view. The best view in, in the, Bronx. the Bronx. Gary's got the greatest apartment in New York City. <laughs> I said it. I said it. Well, well, listen, we, I don't know. We need to get political, but it is a Mitchell Lama apartment, and um, my family has lived in, in essence in this development for my whole lifetime. My parents uh, moved here, and. Um, uh, it's the best middle-class housing program you could have, and anything that could be done to continue it, uh, including funding from the state, would be a smart thing. Tell us a little bit about Mitchell Lama for people who don't know what that program is. Uh, I'm not great with the um, technical aspects of it, but I'm going to presume it was a man named Mitchell and a man named Lama. But basically, um, it was um, a program that because you don't want to use cliched words, but the rent is regulated uh, through um, through the state, and um, so it keeps rents down. And because it's a cooperative, but you do not own equity in the apartment, so I can't sell this apartment and make a profit. But you sell the shares. You know, the, the, you when you come in, you make an investment, and those shares go to the corporation. This is particularly well-managed because it's a sister cooperative of amalgamated houses who's 90 years old. We are 60 years old. And so we share the same management company. So when it snows, we don't have to call a contractor to come in. They've been doing it for all these years, and they'll help you dig your car out of the parking lot. And so it's managed cooperatively through a board of directors. I am on the board. uh, it's managed through a board of directors, but the rents are um, 
uh, for want of a better term, negotiated with the state. Uh, there's no profit, there's no landlord, and as long as you continue to do what we've done, it's a beautiful building, yeah. um, maintain it, uh, you, you're getting apartments at a really good rate. And in this day and age, and in this borough, uh, that's saying something. Yeah, I mean... Not gonna lie, I was walking around New York City about a year ago, especially in the Bronx, Upper Manhattan, and I didn't... I, a lot of people I spoke to that told me about Michelama, everything they said was great. I have not heard one person talk bad about Michelama. Well, here, here's the thing about that, and um, you could look throughout the Bronx, and uh, I, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know which, but you can vote to get out of Michelama, and one of the motivations would be that, uh, that I could uh, technically sell the apartment. Yeah. And so if I've lived here for a long time, as, as Suzanne and I have, um, it, it would be interesting to, to have a piece of property that we could sell and then make a little money for ourselves and, of course, right. hand it down. Um, and so many, I don't want to say many, and I don't know the numbers, but some people have voted, you need two-thirds of a vote, and then there's a whole legal process. They have voted to get out of it. Um, in some cases, they have regretted that. It's come up in dialogue here. Uh, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be interest, but there's some things stirring around that uh, I think would, will make people concerned, right. and hopefully we can maintain it as it is, because it's... It, you know, if, if God forbid uh, you, your toilet gets stuffed on Thanksgiving Day and you've got a party, um, you can call service and maybe it'll take about 45 minutes. There's a guy on duty right. and he will come and, <laughs> ironic word to use, and he will uh, plunge your, um, your toilet and you could continue right along. Right. Um, if we had a private building, there's no telling if the landlord has somebody oh, the available. Super's never coming they're on Thanksgiving. Never coming. Yeah, super's never. Coming. But but because yeah. we're managed with three buildings here, uh, I think sixteen buildings in, in amalgamated. There's somebody on duty, right. and it keeps you going. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Good. What do you got? Um, well, we're gonna talk a lot about uh, Ruben Diaz this okay. episode, which. I don't know if you've checked out our last few episodes. Probably not. It's all good. We forgive you anyway, Gary. You're the no, best. No, I will not. No, I have to. And usually I'm well researched before I go on the air, so all right. No, it's all good. We're, we're still young. You're blacked out. Um, no worries. But uh, I personally, uh, I've lived in the Bronx my whole life. I've never really been one to approve of what Ruben Diaz has been doing. But as of late, recently, he has, I think, exemplified Bronx morals, for sure. Um, Randy, you know what I'm talking about, the whole racist lawyer thing. Oh, yeah, he stood up against, um, everyone knows about the racist lawyer in Manhattan who went into, what store did he go into? Yeah, yeah Schlossberg. He went into a, a, a Green Fresh or something, and we're going to get into that in this, in, after the commercial break. But So, yeah, and I don't know, I think um, there's a big difference, at least for me, there's a big difference between Ruben Diaz Jr. and Ruben Diaz Senior. Right, and we're for those that don't junior. know, we're talking about the one that does not wear the cowboy hat. Again, yes. the one without the cowboy hat is Junior. I grew up, and I feel like he was that politician that was just a, like close enough in age, not my dad's age. And I always thought, like, you know, he's doing good things. We're on Mayor Watch 2021, and it's no surprise Ruben Diaz Jr. is looking to run for mayor. Yeah. But he took the opportunity to let this lawyer from Manhattan who's yelling at people and pissed off for some reason about something. people speaking Spanish. He let him know, look, these are, these are values that... We don't agree with. Yeah. 
So. Yeah, he definitely stood up for, uh, I think, every non-English speaking person who calls the Bronx home, who calls America their home. And I was proud of him. I was proud of him. Um, I have to apologize for that. That's <laughs> no, that's fair. And I thought it was an, an interesting combination of elected officials, because usually you would get for example, um, the, the, this borough president and let's say Marcos Crespo or some, you know, one of the state officials. He used to be a state official. So, you know, you'd think that would be part of his family. But it was him and Adriano Espaillat right. with the federal government. Right. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not implying anything about that other than I thought it was an interesting combination of resources and, and uh, expressions to make a, uh, you know, what I think a lot of people agree with is a very important point. Yeah. I wonder how that conversation went between Espaillat and Diaz Jr. Oh, I can respond to that. I'll bet you neither had to convince the other to do this. And it was <laughs> all you. done in Spanish. Oh, yeah. Claro que sí. Claro que sí. Firma All right. So we're going to dive into the specifics of what exactly happened between Schlossberg and that faithful moment in the restaurant after the break. So stay tuned. Hey, here's something interesting for Bronx progressives, New Kings Democrats, and Manhattan Young Democrats. Uh, there is a county committee, committee boot camp training for partner organizations. So uh, the idea is that you can join Women of Color for Progress for an overview of New York City's county committee and discussing the process for running for an open seat which provides opportunities for um, anybody really interested. Uh, the whole thing goes down Wednesday, May 30th, uh, between 7 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. at the Flatiron School downtown at 11 Broadway. Uh, if you want more information and if you want to RSVP, go to bit.ly slash county boot camp. Now, let's get back to the show. And we're back. Okay, so... We were talking about Aaron Schlossberg before the break. Uh, Aaron Schlossberg, if you have blacked out over the past week, is a lawyer from New York who visited a restaurant downtown near his office somewhere around Midtown, 60th Street, something, some someplace fancy and rich. And someone was ordering food, not, not even next to him, not even affiliated with him. Someone was ordering food in Spanish. So, the worker who worked there responded in Spanish. This sent Schlossberg into a fit. Just the mere piercing sound of Hispanic accents and, and soys and thus and yos, just, it just flew him into a rage. Fast forward to our new champion, Ruben Diaz, calling for his license. I'm proud. I'm proud. I'm proud. So I want, I, want, I want to get your perspective on it, Gary. Talk to me. I got a couple of things about it. So if you take him at his word, upset that somehow it's anti-American or whatever he thought it, you know, they should be speaking English. I was at a, um, a Met game the other night, and Jair is familiar as a relief pitcher. And when he comes in, 
He's got this, um, uh, I guess it's bachata music that they play, and, and it has, and it has um, Spanish lyrics. But it's great. I mean, it's the yeah. rhythm of the game, and it, certainly there's plenty of Hispanic people in the ballpark. I'm a Jewish guy. I love it. It gets us all pumped up. And it occurred to me, would, there, would this guy, Schlossberg, or people who think like him, be upset that they were playing Spanish <laughs> music at a baseball game? When he was a Dominican ball player, the place was rocking. Everybody, I mean, who wasn't happy? You know, if you're a Met fan, obviously. Um, and so it's, it's very scary that somebody would think that would be improper. And it, it's very similar to him ordering, him just having a conversation with somebody. But what really um, is the story, I think, is that um, uh, the President of the United States, um, due to his uh, attitudes and his policies, have given license to people who have been harboring these thoughts uh, to think that now is the time for them to speak like that and make those kinds of statements because they think they're supported somewhere along the way and somewhere up the line all the way to the President of the United States. It's um, as horrible and as tragic as you could imagine. That's what I think. I mean, if you want to play six degrees of separation here, um, boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Well, you don't, you don't see it like that? No, no, I totally do. It's, it almost seems as though these sort of characters have been emboldened over a period of time. It's not just only the president, there's been a lot going on in local politics that people tend to forget uh, or maybe just omit. And if you look at voting blocks and you look at how real estate has changed in New York and who's moving into these areas, you've got a lot of wealthy white people for, you know, I mean, it's not a lie. It's wealthy white people. Um, and with that comes new representation in neighborhoods and a once enclave for, you know, Spanish residents is now not. Not. <laughs> so I definitely think the president is to blame, but there's a lot going around us that we're not clicking into. And I'm, I'm singing his praises a lot in this episode, which is very unlike me, but I think the fact that Ruben Jr. and Espaillat banded together to remind these visitors, these newcomers, that this is a native... Well, it's a place where people speak their native tongue. They also speak English, but there's a yeah, lot of flavor City, here. It's, it's New not York City. like you walked into a fresh... What is it, Fresh Direct? What's the name of the... Green something I fresh? I keep forgetting I the name know. of the... Fresh Green, well, Green Fresh. the name of the place? The restaurant, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know that was it. It's not like you walked into one in another part of the country. And if it was a rural part of the country, well, should it matter if, like, someone's speaking Spanish? He's also a lawyer. He probably had a tough day. He probably lost and to another client. The client was only speaking Spanish <laughs> and needed an interpreter the whole time. Maybe he was a little upset. I don't know what was going on. But... It doesn't give an excuse for what happened. However, afterwards, when the media was following him outside, I don't think he really put himself out there as a public figure to be chased down. Yeah, he probably deserved it, but I don't know. That seemed a bit aggressive. And then taking his bar license, personally, yeah, take that guy's bar license. He has no right scaring someone, making believe you're taking a picture and saying, I'm calling ICE, but... Uh, he never really represented himself to be a lawyer at the moment. So I don't think he, like, 
when it comes to professional responsibilities and, and lawyer ethics, I'm not so sure if he actually broke a law to get his license taken away. But the main point, and going back to what Gary said, which is completely true, we were a little more politically correct when Obama was president. Yeah, Trump and a lot of his followers didn't like that, and they want tough talk, and we got too politically correct. But it avoided situations like this. It avoided certain people who already kind of deep down feel powerful taking advantage of other people in broad, open public and you feel defenseless because what the heck are you going to do? Thankfully, we can record it now. But really, some cops are out there still killing black people. People of color still being taken advantage of. And poor people get shafted all the time by, by powerful people. So it does give license when you see your president do it all the time. And I, from experience, I saw the country wasn't like this four years ago. So, I, I mean, I have a couple of things to say about what each of you said, just going backwards from um, what, what Randy said. Um, I think that, and in plain language, and, and I don't mean it in a violent way, but I think this is war, and I think the war is on, and any time and any place that I, you, or your children, or anybody uh, hears overt racism or the... the the kind of um, hate speech that we heard from that guy in that very benign, what was a benign situation, then it needs, we need to fight back. And that's what Borough President Diaz and Congressman Espiat are doing. I'm not uh, an expert on the law or the rules for uh, disbarment, um, but if anything can be done to discourage somebody from behaving that way by warning them, if you behave that way, there is going to be a camera in that McDonald's running somewhere, and everybody's going to know that that's what you said. And I have no, it's a shame, and, and I'm, uh, you know, somebody else will debate the legality of it, but whatever can be done to stop hate and injustice and speech like that, tough buddy, don't be like that if you, if you feel like you're going to be wrong. So that would be the first thing. The, other, the second thing is I don't quite, and, and I, un, I, I believe me, I am <laughs> intimately involved and have direct conversations with people who are worried about being displaced at, with very good reason. I don't quite go there yet to say that the development is an extension of this kind of hate. Because, and, and this gets into a much larger debate, um, uh, you know, wh whether people being displaced on Jerome Avenue is as, as uh, difficult a racial thing. Now, there are many people in the Bronx who would tell me, <laughs> shut up, Gary, you're wrong. But I'm not ready to go there just yet. I, I, maybe I'm dreaming. But even though there will be people and businesses displaced through this process in many neighborhoods, um, I don't know... Well, I'd like to believe that we can do it without hating each other and that people can't possibly think that they're coming into the Bronx in this circumstance and they're going to convert what is a two-thirds population that speaks Spanish and probably seven-eighths that speak another language other than English um, and, and think that, they, that that is an attitude that could in any way, shape, or form be accepted. So I get what you were saying that, well, we're worried about white people coming in. It's going to change the color of the Bronx. Yeah, I get that. 
I, I, God, goodness gracious, I hope that's not who's moving in. <laughs> because that would make me very upset. And frankly, the borough president, who is being given credit and criticism for some of that development, um, uh, boy, he'd be, as evidenced by what you were saying earlier, he'd be the last guy to want to support that sort of hate speech moving into our neighborhoods. Right. So I don't, I don't want to disagree with it because I understand where it's coming from and racism and all that. And it's, it's, it's you know, I get it. I, I wouldn't make that connection. How was that? No, right? that, that's a fair assessment. That's a fair assessment. Um, I. You got a rebuttal for that, Rosalie? I do have a rebuttal. I do. Um, I, I may know what it is, and I think it's valid before you even say it. <laughs> but I felt like I wouldn't have gone there. <clears throat> no, I um. Pardon me. I. I do agree that right now. In the Bronx, we are seeing a change. When people talk about displacement in the Bronx, I don't feel as though we're yet, uh, we're gonna be subject to that just yet. Yes, prices are increasing, but I feel like we've seen Harlem, we've seen Brooklyn, and now we're seeing parts of Queens. We've had enough of a heads up that the change you're seeing in the Bronx I don't directly link to gentrification. Really? I, I do think Ruben has had a huge hand in it. And at one point he was trying to attract that, but he saw how swift the community was to be like, whoa. Yeah, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We want nice things, but we don't want to sell our soul. I really have something to say about this. Now, yeah. I, and I am, because I know about all the mechanics, I know about all the development, uh, specifically in the southernmost part of, uh, of the Bronx in uh, Port Morris and Mott Haven. And there are real fears, uh, you know, that, that something will change, rents will go up. But along with that, there are organizations, there's, there's like Henry Obispo's Born Juice that is there. Mm -hmm. There is that not, very funky, I don't know, uh, the Habanera, I think, is the Mexican restaurant right, that's right. there. Uh, there is... The, the which uh, Justin, this is the Bronx. This morning we did a um, uh, a story on was the Beatstro that is coming in, which is going to be a um, a restaurant with a hip hop music theme. Right, right. There are Bronxites saying we know things are changing. We know people with different economies are coming in to our neighborhoods, but we want to make them work with us to preserve our cultures. Right. Now. And the Lit Bar, of course, you yes, have to mention, yeah. which is coming right down the block there also. So I'm hopeful that those kinds of things, Henry's food, uh, Juice Bar, which is going to be talking about sustainability and healthy food and all the important things we need, the Lit Bar, which is going to be talking about literature, Beatstro, which is going to be talking about the, the legacy of Bronx music, I'm hopeful that we will be able to maintain our culture um, and that will filter into people who are coming in to be incorporated. I'm hopeful. Can't guarantee it. But to me, those are helpful signs. Yeah. All the people that I mentioned are friends of mine. And, I, I, you know, whatever I can do, whatever this is the Bronx, and even Bronx Talk can do to support it, I'm totally for it because it still gives us a chance. That's what I think. No, and I, I definitely agree with that. What do you think, Rainey? I think that... It's going to happen either way. I've seen gentrification happen in San Francisco. I've seen it happen in Washington, D.C. Everyone knows about Harlem and, and Brooklyn. It's going to happen. So 
what Gary's getting at is, hey, let's make it happen on our terms. At least we can preserve some of our culture can. to the best right. we can. That's right. I'm always, and and my 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 grip with the rezoning of Jerome Avenue has been, yeah, we want to develop. We want nice new things. Are we doing it in a way that is providing support and guidance to the small business owners in the community? We the lip bar sounds great. Beat stroh sounds great. I I hope the owners are from the community. I hope that they continue to grow with the community and I hope that they end up sharing job training skills and career development for the community so that this development happens and we look back on it in 20 years, I don't want us to look back and say, damn, a whole bunch of white people got rich off of us. And yeah, we we got like three or four wins with the lip bar. Look, if the lip bar goes up and it's a success, I'm never leaving the lip bar. Like we're gonna tweet we're about gonna it, and it's and I'm gonna sleep there yeah, and like keep right. giving it money. I'm gonna give it my money. Like I don't need my money, take it. And but because I feel like that's ours. I feel like uh, the the peop- the person who created lip bar is from the community, gets it, and I just want to see that. I want to see that, especially on Jerome where I feel like as you go up to the, north, the West Bronx, Northwest Bronx a little more on 183rd Street, Burnside and Jerome, there's so little engagement of the population there where this rezoning could happen and it's a, it's a sleepy sight that the borough president, who's doing a good job about staying on top of this development, he might not be paying as much attention up here as he should be because the, there are politicians up here who are allowing... A, those white guys to be able to come in and make some money. I mean, I have done a, an enormous amount of work, uh, specifically on Bronxnet's Bronx Talk, about um, uh, the Jerome Avenue study. I interviewed the council members who were both Fernando Cabrera and uh, Vanessa Gibson, who were behind uh, getting the agreement passed. I uh, provided enormous opportunities for community people to have their say, so I've sat and watched it. And this is something that I may have suggested in the questioning, but I'm going to say it outright, I don't think there's any way, given the, the amount of money involved, I don't think there's any way, shape, or form that many of those auto businesses will survive. I think they're going to, have, they're going to be forced out, and uh, it, is, it is one of the, the, the things that's going to happen. Who's going to take their place? Who's going to run those businesses? I don't know. That's where the guidance that I get at. That, that's the perfect unity for the Bronx, and that's the perfect moment for the Bronx that I think the borough president should harp on. There's so little guidance, but a dense population for living amongst what is going to be the biggest rezoning this community has ever seen. The opportunity is tremendous. Some job training skills, some getting boots on the ground there and finding out what the people actually want, what the people actually care about so that we can prepare them for the rezoning and they can make the most of that opportunity. I think that's a perfect plan. Uh, I, I can give you, and Randy, you probably know this um, as well as anybody, uh, you know, having run for office in this area, a lot of talk, and we know the Kingsbridge Armory has a whole other issue or issues, of specifically a financial one that has to be dealt with. But if that armory were to come to place and become the Kingsbridge National Ice Center, there are stores on Kingsbridge Road that are not going to survive. My thought is, if they've run a decent business at whatever economic level, and you put in a sports bar, or you put in a hockey supply store, let the guy who owned that place 
still feed his family. Let him be the manager of that store. That's Let him inherit idea. part of it. Write that into a, you know, some kind of agreement or, or um, uh, you know, an MOU. To, and, and I know that's what the Kingsbridge merchants were getting at. Um, and I have brought this up. I brought it up on the air. I've talked to people about it. And there is interest. And people say, okay, I have not heard anybody say either it can't happen or we're ready to commit. But that's my concept. Unfortunately, I, there's not enough money to keep those Jerome Avenue auto body shops there. And I, I've asked elected officials, and there's no way they can justify to me that, you know, whatever, how many dozens or oh, hundreds of, of stores there are. And they, they allocated $1.8 million or something. That's going to go with the first two businesses and the rest of them are going to have a problem. And I just don't, you know, and there are aspects of it that I think were worked out well. I don't see any way those guys are going to survive. That did seem like the one part of the, the Jerome rezoning that didn't actually get tied that was down. Most troubling. Yeah, it was. It was ever, people were talking about it forever. People were organizing about it forever. At one point, I heard from community leaders. Yeah, the taxi, the the, the auto mechanics, they're fine. They're 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 organized. They had they're talking to the councilman. But at the end of it all, it's just ha that just happened. The same thing happened in City Field, Shea Stadium. Well, it's point. And, I, I was um, just going to bring it up. I, I mean, I know exactly what happened is that those um, uh, auto body owners across the street, uh, past the outfield fence in City Field, uh, were promised that they would get monies to relocate and a place to relocate. It was going to be in the Bronx at the Hunts Point Market. Well, that place dried up and, they, and it went belly up. So all those people were taken out of their place and then the new place they were promised dried up. Uh, I can't tell you what those people are doing right now. They don't have auto body shops, I can tell you that. Uh, that's, uh, that's their skill. That's their trade, right? So it's, uh, and man, let's not ignore it. That's a lot of Dominicanos that lost their job. And a lot of Dominicanos in yeah. Jerome Avenue. So what if they're out there smoking hookah? They're still fixing your windshields. Come on, Ruben Diaz, Jr., well, help them out. Well, here, here's, this is definitely part of it. Um, you know, and they, I don't want to make blame, but, you know, many of them are um, unlicensed, uneducated, don't know how to run a business. And part of the dialogue was to figure out how to uh, get them training so they could run a business better. That was part of the, the conversation. I don't think they were going to get the running of a business part down that quickly on staying up on their feet. It's, that, that takes a real big investment. $1.6 million is actually just maybe for relocating, or, or and that's not for education. Well, and if it was... Total for all the businesses that, there. That's, that's all of Jerome, from 183rd to 161st. You know how many auto mechanics? A lot of people know how many auto mechanics yeah, I, that I, is. I, I can look it up. While it's a here. lot. And so, oh, I've walked the strip. It's And it's if a we're lot. talking about <laughs> the, the guidance and the support, the education that goes into training right. someone how to incorporate a business, right. manage trust, manage right. accounts... Stay up to date on taxes. No, no, no. No vamos a pagar taxes. We're like, it, this is tough. And it's what I thought would have been great is, you know what? These people are entrepreneurs, these people. They're, I'm Dominican. I can say that, these people. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean that. So, but these Dominicans, <laughs> they, like these Latinos, they are entrepreneurs. They're good with their hands. What's coming? What's the next wave? Electric vehicles, uh, self-driving cars. So these are things that are going to need specific mechanical skills with a little tech twist. And that, when I'm getting a job training program for the future, it's like, look, I know we just took everything you ever knew away from you. Here's this skill that you can turn into whatever you want 
down the line. Yeah. We promise. You may not see it now, but thank you for helping us. I'm sure this is going to make you some money later. But what you say is, t is totally, totally true. You can say we'll train you. You can say we'll do it. It's not going to happen fast enough for those people to stay solvent, run their businesses, get the education they need, get their kids the education they need so they can move the business along. It just can't happen fast enough. I, and, and it breaks my heart. I mean, um, and maybe it is the cost of development. Can it ever be done without this problem? I don't know. Put money in a trust fund and help them wind down or something. I mean, we, uh, briefly before we wrap up and cut to commercial, we we touched on this in a, in a past episode. Listen to the past episodes of Blacked Out. Um, and well, this was our pilot episode, right? The Bronx Civic Center. We were talking oh, yeah. about that and how a downtown revitalization project, how that's going to affect the local community members, how that's going to affect existing shop owners, and what tools are going to be available uh, once they implement this downtown area. And when you say downtown, what? it's interesting that you say that, and you could look it up. It's, uh, if you Google me in the New York Times, I was once interviewed, it probably goes back to the early part of the century, maybe in the... 2004 or something um, about calling the hub area downtown Bronx mm -hmm. and there was back and forth both directions about it so what, what, what area were you talking about? Well they it was the hubs included the hubs included uh, it was um, I forget the name of the group 161st to 149th to... well that's not the hub no, no. 161st to 1 well, it was 38th I think it was from 161st to 138th expanding from the hub to Port Morris, and they uh, it was a, a local group that proposed revitalizing the area and making it a downtown area, calling it the Bronx Civic Center. And there's a full like 30 page proposal on you know they were taking surveys within the area, asking what people wanted, uh, what the community needed. It also ties into the new museum that they're trying to build in the area. So they're really are trying to create a downtown Bronx. It's just now the question of how do we want that downtown Bronx to look and who do we specifically want it to serve? Is this a downtown for us or is this a tourist attraction? Is this some place where we want to build an economic center of the Bronx finally and we don't have to take the full trip down to, you know, Broadway or whatever? Or is this just a place for nightlife? What is this downtown Bronx, this civic center going to look like? Um, I, so my exciting. question to that would be, you know, geographically, where are we looking at? And that may be some, maybe a better way than rather than try to define a downtown, although, you know, there are areas of Mott Haven that are going to be changing, obviously, um, uh, is um, if you uh, look at La Centrale, and La Peninsula, that's coming to Hunt Point, and La Centrale, which is uh, just, I guess, north of the hub. Um, maybe that's the way that the Bronx will get its downtown. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the Wedco um, Bronx Music Heritage Center project that's going right, to right. create. And, and, and maybe that's the way we're going to develop a quote-unquote downtown Bronx instead of what other people would know is like downtown Pittsburgh or downtown, right. you know what I mean? I don't know, but I don't know if geographically... This we could is, handle that kind of center. I got the geography here. The um, 140, once from 165 
to 144 from the Harlem River to 3rd Avenue. Oh, that's... Yeah, okay. Hmm. I remember that's, that's that. That's something. I remember How that, How long ago was that? This was... Uh, this was a, another Ruben Diaz Jr. Um, special. Uh, Governor Cuomo, on September 20th, 2017, announces Bronx Civic Center as $10 million New York City region winner of second round downtown revitalization initiative. You know, That's I vaguely of, remember that. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if anything ever came of it. I, I vaguely remember. Anyway, I just found this story that I was talking about in the, um, in the Times. In April of 2003, there was a, 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 dis, a, a dialogue about the downtown Bronx well, I wonder what I, I, I could, I'm looking it up right now to find out. Did, I hope I still agree with what I said. <laughs> yeah, Gary Axelbeck, here it is. The host of two cable TV shows about the Bronx added, the name is not really accurate or appropriate. I think the name implies a civic center where you can get everything. So hey. that's basically consistent to what Gary, I just said. What year was that? Two, you were predicting the future. Predicting the future. I said essentially the same thing is that I don't know that we can have that kind of civic center. Well, then right. that goes back to the beginning of the episode. If you can see Gary's view from his living room, <laughs> he can pretty much plan the future of the Bronx from up here. I don't know if you understand this. <laughs> Plan it, but I could see it. (laughs) (laughs) All seeing, all seeing. Um, Okay, guys, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey there, this is Gary Axelbank, the host of Bronx Talk on BronxNet Television, and also the publisher of This Is the Bronx, which is something we're very proud of. It is uh, the Bronx's. I think, latest and most exciting media, the first time the Bronx has ever had Bronx news every single day, and we do uh, a a very extensive Bronx events calendar, and we have features and videos and all different things, kind of looking at the Bronx in a new and modern way as regards media. And so that was a very long-winded way of saying uh, that uh, we are enjoying the Randy and Rosie show on Blacked Out. And the beauty of Blacked Out is it's an attempt to make sure you are not blacked out and you are informed. So, go Bronx. And we're back. So, we're going to wrap up the show. Um, Oh, no. Yeah. I hate that part of the show. I know, I know. I remember when I texted you, you were like, an hour? But look how an hour has flown by. (laughs) Hey, you let me talk. I love to talk. We like to listen. (laughs) Um, So we definitely want to know more about This Is The Bronx info. It was Bronx Week, actually. You covered that. I I, I signed up. Did you sign up, Randy? For this is, oh, yeah, I get the This Is The Bronx email every two days, is it? Every day. Every, every day. day. It's every day, yeah, every yeah. Every day. And you're only opening it up every two days. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can see I'm <laughs> or something. No, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm, I'm really very proud of it. And uh, I, I'll give you, since we have time, I'm going to give you the long story. Uh, I was a radio disc jockey during a period of time where the disc jockey got to choose the records. In those days, there were records. I mean, now <laughs> CDs or some digital file. Um, and so on a rainy day, you would play Riders on the Storm. And on a sunny day, you would play Summer in the City. And the whole job, as, as I saw it, of the 
personality on the air, was to take people's lives, me as the medium, and help them learn more and reflect their lives. And my, my process was music at the time. Um, so that's what I did for 15 years. And then um, uh, BronxNet came about and uh, the notion of me hosting Bronx Talk. So it, in my mind, it was the same task. Look at people's lives in the Bronx. Use me as the medium because I'm, I'm a media guy. That's what I'm naturally tuned to do. And help people learn and do better. And in this case, instead of music, it was a talk show. And, and the show is, I, I think, still very valid. And that's what it was. But let's face it, it's two-dimensional and it's old-fashioned media. The, the task of This is the Bronx is to use a different medium but do the same thing. Take the realities of people's lives, me as a publisher of this medium, and help people learn and do better and educate and all that kind of stuff. And so it's the same job, just learning new media, and it's been an education. The, the philosophy behind it, and I've told this story a number of times, but it is what I consciously think about. The Borough of the Bronx has 1.4 million people, which is an extraordinary number eighth largest city in the nation if it was an independent city, which is remarkable to think about all the cities that would be behind us. You know how many people there are in Boston? 600,000 people. Okay. But, so it's less than half as populous as the borough of the Bronx. But Boston has network television, right. has, has daily newspapers, plural. Right. You know the last time the Bronx had a daily newspaper? Seventy years ago, the Bronx Home News closed in 1948 and got folded into the New York Post. And so, if you believe in media, and that is who I am and what I do, think of the role of media and how we have been so overlooked and we're so starved for media. If you, prior to This is the Bronx, if you woke up in the morning and cared about the Bronx, where would you get your news? You could try News 12. If you're fortunate to live in Riverdale or Norwood, you had the Riverdale Press and the Norwood News. In the East Bronx, there's the Bronx Times. Thank goodness for Hunter College and the CUNY Graduate School for the Mott Haven Herald and uh, the Hunts Point Express. But what if you live in Burnside Avenue? Right. What if you live on Kingsbridge Road? What if you live um, uh, in Soundview? What if you live in Claremont, which has so many needs and, and people with health problems? You know, I, I sat on a, a committee with people um, through Bronx Lebanon Hospital about helping people in Claremont. If they want to run a bike program, which they have a wonderful, the Claremont Bicycle Program every Saturday morning, how are they telling all those people that this exists? There's no method. They got to print flyers right. and drop them under the door. Right. So the whole idea of This is the Bronx was to say, you got 1.4 million people, you should be able to find your daily news, you, sh you should be able to find your events and, and, and have your own videos, etc. And because I had been in this position of sitting on Bronx Talk every week for 20 plus years, over 1,100 programs, it's like ridiculous, I know all the community boards, I know all the neighborhoods, I know all the politicians, they know me, I've had a reasonably good reputation I'm, I'm very grateful for. 
So let's create, and that's the story behind This is the Bronx, and that's what it's about. So yeah, we, we started out, we don't do, um, you know, if we do four stories or five stories, um, you know, sometimes they're not original, but we do them in a way so people will find out what the heck is going on. And I think we, we're doing a good job. Plus, we were the first, and, and you know, we're doing original news, we were the first people to put out the address on Alexander Avenue of the Lit Bar um, when the Bronx River Arts Center had a problem that it took them seven years to get back into a building that was being constructed, their own building. I was the only one that broke the story and wrote about it in This is the Bronx. We did a story um, just today about Dewitt Clinton High School and a hydroponic farm that produces 30 pounds of vegetables every, day, every week to feed their own the high school cafeteria. I was the first one to go into the building where they're going to have the Bronx Children's Museum and on and on and on. We're going to do more and more stuff just like that, just to help the people. And listen, congratulations <laughs> to News 12, and, and we share other people's stories. But I got a call from the editor of the Riverdale Press, and he said to me, what's the matter, you don't love us anymore? I said, what do you mean? He said, you haven't used one of our stories in a long time. So anybody thinks we're stealing or that we're doing something, no, I'm tr I want you to read the Riverdale Press. I want you to read the Bronx Times. I want you to watch yeah. News 12. And my thing is to tease you so that you do that. And certainly BronxNet Television, we published, you know, whatever we can to help them out. They do an unbelievable job. That's my rap. <laughs> That's good. No, actually, um, little known fact. Uh, well, everyone knows Randy and I went to school together. Um, oh, we, there we go. go American Studies. Go American Studies. But we, uh, little known fact, uh, Gary's like family. We actually went to high school with his daughter, um, Sean as well. So Shout out to Sean. We're in your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at your baby picture. Um, but I know for me personally, Bronx Talk, the AM edition, was a huge influencer wow. in Love my that. political uh, approach towards life. Like, I knew... Being, you worked on the show. I worked on the show. I learned a lot of the jargon from the show. I learned really how to speak with a non-regional dialect wow. on the show. Um, I haven't even learned that. <laughs> I, I learned a lot, and I really knew from that point, working with you behind the scenes and just getting to get a feel of it, I this was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be involved in the Bronx, the community, getting information out of there, being a medium the best way you can. So That's it. That's what we're trying to do. Thank you, Gary, for inspiring me uh, personally. That, that show, that show, um, I loved that show. That, that show was, um, in essence, the TV version of what This is the Bronx became because uh, for people who don't know, between uh, 2000 and 2005, I hosted uh, what was the precursor to BronxNet's Open uh, Bronx Talk AM, which was I was on the air for two hours sitting in a little room um, doing interviews and in, in essence the same media that we're yeah. talking about, uh, different media, yeah. but the same uh, responsibility. Okay. And uh, when the show ended, uh, I, I was, it was a shame because I, we, I had dreamed it up, it had come true, and then that was the end of it. What was that? So I think that Gary's just been like transcending through time. It's uh, a... <laughs> He's innovated through time, through the radio days, the television days, 
now the digital age. Right. And Gary's just a media guy. I like love media. I fell in love with media law in D.C. and worked at the FCC. So Gary and I know a lot of the same. Uh, you can't say these the words. The FCC <laughs> won't let, let me, me be. <laughs> but I remember the Bronx Net uh, show growing up here in the Bronx. And I, even my dad trying to get a show at Lehman College's Bronx Net. How the but that the show's not on the air anymore and my show or that show um, Bronx Net AM Bronx Talk AM Bronx Talk AM yeah and what happened there was it I can tell you what happened yeah let's hear what happened all right here's the inside scoop I don't know if I've ever said this in public and it's fine I mean at this point it is what it is um, uh, the program was two hours long and as you folks know I mean we're in essence doing a radio show um, it's a lot of time to fill. And so, you know, I would uh, greet people in the morning and say good morning, and then I would um, editorialize and do stuff like that uh, about different projects. That was the time that the city was citing uh, what to do with Yankee Stadium, as well as the filtration plant in the North Bronx. Oh, I remember and that. I, um, uh, I was intimately involved more in the filtration plant, but, you know, the, the citing of Yankee Stadium um, was also a, a very thorny issue. And I was naive enough to think that I could editorialize during my little editorial segment about um, uh, the stadium and what I thought about. And, and frankly, so many of the things that I uh, advocated uh, came true. But it stirred up uh, a, a, um, uh, some anger amongst politicians who were being very protective um, in the Bronx. And... Um, uh, then one day, uh, the show just ended, and I had always believed that, um, you know, it was ended for political reasons, and um, so, in fact, Lehman College was building a studio for that show, for interns like you, Rosie, um, to get an education, and I would host the show, and we would use it as a class and everything else, and then um, one day, the, the studio just dried up, and they, you... Wow. So a, a friend of mine, who they did not know he was my friend, was getting a tour of Lehman College's new media facilities. And when they walked into that studio, which is like B32, or it, it exists now as a studio, they said to my friend, without knowing he was my friend, oh, this was built for Gary Axelbank, but he's not getting it because he pissed off the borough president over Yankee Stadium. Wow! And so there was independent confirmation that Bronx Talk AM was closed, and, and frankly, Adolfo Carrion was the borough president at the time, um, because, and the, and the borough president has a tremendous influence over BronxNet's board of directors, and that was what, and th th there's no way to deny it because yeah. it was independently told to me. I had always suspected because there was a, a, a lot of uh, people angry at me over my advocacy because I was getting a lot of publicity. Man, right. there's so much. Two things, Gary, two quick things. First of all, what the heck did you say about Yankee Stadium that pissed off the borough well, president? You probably pissed off the Steinbrenners no, too. Tell us, what did you say? I can tell you what it was. I thought that it was a bad deal for the Bronx, that the Bronx was getting a shorted of park land, and uh, that much like the same dialogue we're having now about a lot of things, um, that, um, uh, you know, th this isn't the right way to go about developing the Bronx. And if you look at that stadium now, and you look at, you know, what they're still fighting over with Parkland and Heritage Field, and, and, you know, there's so many issues over there. And if you look at the legal trade for Parkland, it did not go one-to-one, -one, and so they had to do things like they took a community center, and they decided to call that Parkland and figured that into the 
into the mix. So that didn't work out. And then the other thing was the, um, uh, the filtration plant. I was very against it. It's a $4 billion boondoggle. And I can show you how the thing was just an absolute mess. And that was also part of the deal that, that Bronx elected leadership at that time uh, was forming their little uh, group uh, to protest it. Uh, look, we can go through details. Since then, Borough President Diaz, who was an assemblyman at the time, um, told me that he thought that was a mistake, that he voted for that project. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a reasonable um, uh, conclusion, because now if you look at it, $4 billion, and, and we had double-digit raises in water rates through that period of time that they were building it from like 2004 to 2014 or something, I'd have to look up exactly, and, and we were getting 11% water rate increases, it's, and, and they was attributed to the overruns on that project. It was a mess. That, so that's that, what I said. That, that, those water rates shut down the laundromat across the street. So, Carion, you screwed up that one. And the, I guess the second point is, so you've worked in media for, let's say, just a few decades. And you've seen a lot. You've, you've talked about a lot. And this experience with the borough president and seeing how government can get involved in the decision-making of media where I personally believe media is special in that the dissemination of media does have some influence over society, some influence over decision making, and it should be the, the thought of freedom of what you want to say and what you want to do. What do you think about that? Um, uh, it is very difficult, and maybe this um, a podcast uh, you know, method is an answer, is an antidote to that. But if you work for an entity, whether you work for CNN or Fox News or BronxNet Television, uh, you got to serve somebody. And I was naive enough to think, and we don't have to get into details, that I would be protected due to the things that Randy just expressed. Um, but I lived and learned, and remarkably, since that time, I have survived and gained a significant amount of respect uh, because I know where now I, now I learned. I learned a lesson. It was a difficult lesson, but I still deliver enough positive stuff. And now I've learned how not to say what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't get myself into that kind of trouble. There are people um, who may not like me and who may not like what I think of, uh, you know, or my policies or my own personal uh, views, but I have learned to be able to do that show, and I also host the Bronx Buzz on BronxNet, uh, without um, uh, pissing people off. And, and that's, you know, you become a professional and you try to figure it out. And so far, I hope it'll stay on. I love the programs and I want to keep doing them. I hope so, too. I, I get you on the whole pissing people off and learning. <laughs> and this podcast, Not For Nothing, was kind of our way of talking back um, because... Another inside trivia. We're so connected. It's crazy. Wait, us? You mean like personally? Uh, all of us, I want to say. Um, Randy and I, actually, before we started this, I, I used to work for Richie Torres. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Disclosure. Um, disclosure. disclosure. I worked for Richie Torres. Um, again. When he was a council member? Yeah. Oh, nice. And I, that was like the job that I was striving for since I left high school. My goal was to be in politics, to specifically be in my community, because um, he's District 15. I live in District 15. I'm one of his constituents. So I thought it was important to be involved in the work that's going on in your community. Paying job, internship? Paid job. Um, not paid enough, to be honest with uh, you. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, government work is government work. I'm not new to government work. I worked in a prison, like I've mentioned before, for about four years before I made the switch to Richie's office. And I really thought with the patience I learned in prison, I would be able to persevere through the chaos that is a local community office. Um, that being said, I no longer work for Richie because of politics. Uh, when Randy, Wild. yeah, when Randy was running, no. yeah, when Randy was running, it's not who you are, it's who you know. It's who yeah. you know, yeah. Story took a turn. <laughs> when Randy was running for, uh, you know, his seat against Fernando Caprera, um, I you know, was vocal about my friendship with Randy because I didn't think it would come back to bite me in the ass. Did you learn something from that day? And if you were in that circumstance now, would you know how to handle it so you survive? Yes, I learned. We went through the same yep. thing. That's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly what happened. And, you know, I listen, I got burned. It is what it is. It's a lot, at this point, it's 13 years ago. But now you learn the same thing? Yeah, I learned the same thing. And uh, I think it's a lesson that I'll always keep with me. And it kind of just emboldens me to say what I want now. I don't serve anyone. I don't serve Richie. I serve the people and I serve the truth. So I'm really excited you were able to speak with us today, Gary. Like, Gary? Oh, and Bronx Talk is on the TV right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I, um, I, I always try to check to make sure it's there, that they're running the right tape and all that kind of stuff. But very rarely will I sit down and watch the show. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean sometimes I, usually you can ask my wife, like in between innings, I'll go flop it on there just to make sure that I didn't look like an idiot. Just the boost ratings. Yeah, just, well, no. no. <laughs> my one view is not going to help anybody. But um, I'll just check it out to make sure it's okay. But, you know, at this point, you just it is what it is. It went out to the world, and so there it is. It is what it is. No, that's the best service. Like this, this should happen. I want politicians to be more like athletes, and everyone in the community has a baseball card of their favorite politicians and stats as in, like, legislations, resolutions, deals brokered in the last year. You, you know who did that, actually? Jose Serrano, he, Congressman Serrano, has a baseball, out, card, a baseball card. He still gives out his baseball card uh, as a business card. I like that. I just think... <laughs> it's pretty cool. I, I, sometimes I think we uh, follow athletes, entertainers very closely and know all of their stats, um, all about their personal lives. Our politicians do work for us. And literally, their collective decision-making has a tremendous influence on our lives, especially at the local level. So if we were to have that same energy, that same passion towards our politicians, you wouldn't see 12 to 15% voter turnout in the Bronx, and then you would see a big shift in the society before the gentrification, the people that move in. And don't forget, the people that move into the community later on that might be of a lighter skin tone, it, it's a free market, baby. Like, it's hard out there, and it's expensive. And if you got a nice new building on, near the Ford train, and it can take me to my job at Wall Street in 30 minutes, like, I'd be crazy not to take this deal. At, at a rate that beats, uh, uh, you know, what, what they might pay if they were in northern Manhattan or even on the Upper East Side. Yeah, if they course. lived upstate, the, the Metro Norfies or anything like that, it's, it's convenient. So it's about... What happens ahead of time? How do you prepare moving forward for it? And 
I've just, uh, Gary, you're doing, uh, I think, I personally think you're doing a great service for the Bronx. Keep doing it. I have so many questions. We won't get time to today, but I'm sure over time we'll have a lot of conversations about a lot of things going on in the Bronx. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're family. You're always welcome to give an opinion or two. <laughs> Anytime you ask, I will answer. Will I volunteer it? Eh, not always. <laughs> He's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. We, we know that. Uh, check out thisisthebronx.info. Uh, go on your phone, tablet, laptop. Sign up for the newsletter. Stay informed on what's going on in your borough. And that's been our show. That's it? That's it. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Thanks Black for listening out. to Blacked Out, guys. Stay tuned next yeah. week. And uh, as always, stay black, y'all. <laughs>